Firefighters responded to the call of a building on fire. Upon arrival, they noticed a girl on the 10th floor, but they could not reach her with their ladder truck because the street was too narrow. So the firefighters set up a net for the girl to jump into. They pleaded with her to jump into the net, doing their best to assure her that she would be safe. But there was a problem. The girl was blind. The girl could not see the net and could not bring herself to trust the pleas and assurances of the firefighters. Then the girl's father arrived on the scene. He grabbed the bullhorn and he called out to his daughter for her to jump into the net. The girl leapt from the window and landed safely. Throughout the girl's life, she had trusted the sound of her father's voice to guide her where she could not see. The girl heard her father's voice and knew she could trust him because he had faithfully guided her so many times in the past. Because of her trust in the faithfulness of her father, she walked away from the building unscathed. Here's a question to start you off thinking. What is the difference between trusting someone you know and trusting someone you don't know? Well, trusting someone you know is usually easier to do. Right? You will likely trust someone you know over someone you don't know. And trust in someone you know is usually stronger. The Christian life is similar to the story of the blind girl. God has promised eternal life. But for that promise to be made a reality in our lives, we have to trust Him. We have to take our Father at His word. The Christian life is unlike this story. Our trust in God is not a blind leap. We can trust that God will be faithful to fulfill His promises to us because of who He is and His faithfulness throughout history. We can look back at what God has done so that we can look ahead in full confidence to what He will do. Hi, I'm Adam Burton, and I'm the pastor at Central Baptist Church in Maysville, Kentucky. This is my weekly online Bible study, where we are walking through the entire Bible, looking at how all of Scripture points to Jesus. The material comes from the Gospel Project, and this week's session is the rebellion of God's people. In this session, we will see that the Israelites' failure to trust God and enter into the land He was giving them was not a small misstep, but outright rebellion against Him. We will also see that Israel was not alone in their rebellion. We too have rebelled against God. God created us for His glory, but we all fall short of His glory, and the consequence of our sin is death. Our first point is rebellion against God begins by ignoring His provision and promises. After the Lord rescued His people from Egypt, He led them into the wilderness to Mount Sinai, where He gave them His law through Moses. They spent about a year there, camped around the mountain. Then the Lord, in a pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, guided them to the edge of the land He had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Read with me here, Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, and verses 30 through 33. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. 
So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and, we so, and so we seemed to them. God promised the Israelites the land of Canaan, and he has showed them, also showed them quite clearly that he had the power to make good on that promise because he had made a good on another promise, deliverance from Egypt. But Israel's ability to take residence in the promised land was contingent on their faithfulness to God who had always been faithful to them. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6-8, through 8, God promised the people of Israel that he would deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh and into the freedom of the promised land. In Exodus chapter 7-14, through 14, God sent ten plagues to break Pharaoh's will. He parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could escape, and he caused the Red Sea to flow back together and crush the pursuing Egyptian army. In Exodus chapters 15 through 17, God provided water for the Israelites to drink in the wilderness and bread and quail for the people to eat. In Exodus 17, the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the nation of Amalek who came to fight them. Think about this question. What are some things in your life you can remember to help you to remain faithful to God? The spies Moses sent saw that the land was flowing with milk and honey, confirming the truth of what God had said about the land. And they acknowledged this before the people. But when they spoke about their, the cities and the people in the land, the report turned negative. Ten of the spies saw their own weakness and stopped there. But Caleb and Joshua looked through their weakness and looked upon God. The spies may have felt like grasshoppers compared to the people in the land, but the people of the land were not even ants compared to the God of Israel. All Israelites had to do was trust in God's power and faithfulness. Sadly, they did not. It was true that the Israelites were not mighty. They were not trained warriors. They did not have superior weapons, and they were not a world power. And it was also true that the people of the land were strong, and they had lived in fortified cities. But God had promised to hand the inhabitants of the land into the hands of his people. Sometimes God places opposition in our lives that we clearly can't handle to teach us to lean on him and not on ourselves. In this, God is good and kind to allow us to face such opposition so we remember the truth that our salvation is from God. The reference to the descendants of Enoch as Nephilim was designed to instill fear in the hearts of the Israelites. The Nephilim, fallen ones, are noted in Genesis chapter 6 verse 4 as the offspring of the sons of God, angelic beings or divine warriors, and the daughters of men. The Nephilim were a large stature, but they, had, but they all had been destroyed in Noah's flood. So it is best to conclude that the frightened spies gave an exaggerated report. Just as he had with the Israelites, God had shown that God has shown us that we have every reason to trust and obey him. Yet, in our foolishness, at times we have found it easier to trust in our sin instead of God because we can see it, we can feel it, and it gives us instant gratification. So, like the Israelites, 
We too have stared into the freedom and bounty of the promised land and foolishly longed for the, the captivity and despair of Egypt. Our second point is rebellion against God impacts others. Read with me Numbers chapter 14 verses 1 through 4. Then the, all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept at that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in this land of Egypt, or, that, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The Israelites failed to trust that God is faithful, which led to disobedience as they refused to enter the land he promised them. The Israelites' response was not a surprise to God. Their rebellion against him only revealed the sinfulness that was already deep in their hearts, of which God was fully aware. Because of their unbelieving hearts, the Israelites complained like a people who were without hope, though God had made it plain to them that he would provide for them and protect them from their enemies. Listen to this quote from E.M. Bounds. Conduct is what we do. Character is what we are. Character is the state of the heart. Conduct, it's outward expression. Character is the root of the tree. Conduct is the fruit it bears. Here's a question to think about. What are some things that our actions reveal about our hearts? Well, obedience to God's commands should reveal faith. Disobedience reveals unbelief. Actions out of fear reveal that we don't trust God to take care of us. Sinful actions reveal a selfish, self-focused heart. Sin reveals a rebellion against God in our hearts. Our essential doctrine is sin as rebellion. Because the Bible portrays people as responsible beings, called to respond in faith and obedience to God's revelation. The Bible often portrays sin in terms of defiance and rebellion toward God the King. Isaiah 1 verse 2 is one of the many passages that describe sin in terms of rebellion against God. I have raised and children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Seen in this light, sin is personal and willful disobedience, the raising of a clenched fist toward the one who made us. The Israelites, swayed by the negative report of the ten spies, decided it would be best for them to choose a new leader for themselves and return to Egypt, to the place of their captivity. Therefore, they threatened to kill the leaders God had placed over them. Furthermore, their rebellion deserved immediate judgment from God. But Moses interceded for them once again on account of God's glory before the nations, and he relented. The sin of the Israelites affected the way they viewed the leaders God had given them, and it had the potential of affecting how the nations around them viewed God. When we sin, even sin that's done in, in the dark, we are not the only ones affected. Our sin always affects those around us, directly or indirectly. Whether we see it or not, our sin has the ability to hurt those around us and cause us to, di to disdain the godly wisdom that God makes available to us through others. The result is often a compounding of our sin. One sin leads to another as our hearts are further hardened against God, leading us to hurt others. 
Our sin also has the ability to cause those around us, both believers and non-believers, to see God as someone He is not, one who encourages or tolerates sin. Therefore, we must be careful to obey all that God commands. The truth is that we are broken by sin, so we will mess up, and mess ups, and these mess ups may very well affect the way people see God. But God can redeem even the most sinful actions. When we repent of our sin and turn from rebellion to obedience, the grace of God is proclaimed. Believers are called to walk in faith, and sinners are called to turn to Christ in faith. Our last point is rebellion against God has consequences. Read with me Numbers 14, verses 30 through 35. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all these wicked congregations who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. God's glory is paramount to him, and by extension it should be for us as well. That's why he created us, to glorify him. That is why he formed a nation through Abraham and his descendants, so that he might be glorified through his great and glorious acts of redemption. Yes, God has a faithful love for his people. He is great in his compassion and mercy. But these are not all that drive him. His glory does too. The wondrous beauty of all is that the salvation of people is one of the greatest ways God makes his glory known. The Israelites missed this and suffered the consequences. As with the Israelites, the primary purpose of our lives is to glorify God. It's what we were designed to do. We are to do everything with this singular focus. If we do so, we will not only fulfill our created purpose, but we will also experience the abundant life that comes through Jesus. If we live for anything else other than the glory of God, our lives will fall apart. Nothing but God can sustain us. The great tragedy of humanity is that we all fall short of what we were created to do, glorify God. But in His faithfulness, in Christ, God has promised to save us where we fall short. How can we glorify God and make His glory known through our lives? We can do so by doing what He commands, by telling others about the wonderful things He has done, most notably the gospel of Jesus Christ by living with a heart toward repentance and faith, by acknowledging God in Christ as our Savior from sin. Numbers 14, verses 30 through 35, we see the chilling reality of the consequences of sin. The Israelites had obeyed God time in, time again, and time and time again. God had been patient with them. But now the rebellion has de earned their eventual death in the wilderness, 
because the wages of sin is death. God had been patient with these people, but God's patience does not mean he will spare sinners from the consequences of their sin forever. Sin is serious because it offends God. When we sin, we are sinning against a holy, righteous, just, and eternal God. Therefore, our sin deserves a holy, righteous, just, and eternal punishment. The reason why we earn death from our sin is because sin is rebellion against and rejection of the one true God who is the source of all life. Sinners should respond to God's patience with repentance and faith. God spared Caleb and Joshua from dying in the wilderness of judgment because they had a different spirit and followed God fully. In other words, they had faith in God. In God's kindness, he responds to faith to rescue people from death. This is the essence of the gospel. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to take the punishment of our sin on himself. He laid down his life and pleads for the lives of those who trust in him. And he saves them from the eternal punishment of sin. Christians should respond with an urgency to share the gospel with the world. God wants everyone to repent of their sin and turn to Christ in faith. But we must not presume upon his patience for others. Instead, we share the gospel faithfully and urgently, for they too may believe for eternal life. For this, Christ has sent us into the world to proclaim the message of salvation. What should it look like to share the gospel with urgency? Praying constantly for unbelievers, looking for ways to love and serve others in the name of Jesus, sharing the gospel with boldness, regardless of our fears or the potential consequences. Understanding the rebellious nature of our sin and its consequences should shape the way we see grace. We know that grace is unmerited favor of God. We know that it is a beautiful gift from a loving God. But we must never forget that it was for grace that Jesus went to the cross. And now he sends us with the gospel message. When God commanded the Israelites to go into the land of Canaan and take possession of it, he promised to go before them and ensure the victory. God promised to do the work. All they had to do was obey. It is the same today with Christ's command to take the gospel to all nations. It is a command that comes with the presence and power of God. God does the work. We simply walk in obedience, trusting him to be faithful. The land before us, what will we do? Because we have experienced God's forgiveness of our rebellion through Christ, we trust God as we obey his calling to share his kingdom with the nations. Here are some ways for you to apply God's word this week. How will you respond in faith to God's patience toward rebellion? What are some ways you and your friends can remind one another of God's faithfulness and encourage each other toward obedience? How will you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with urgency in the coming days? Would you pray with me, please? Father, you are holy, just, and always trustworthy. Yet in our rebellion, we believe and act otherwise. Thank you for the forgiveness you have provided through your son, Jesus. Help us by the power of the Spirit to become more like Christ as we seek to trust and obey you in all circumstances and in taking the gospel to the nations. Amen. Well, thank you so much for participating in my online Bible study. 
social networks like it when you interact with the content. So would you please do me a favor and like and share and comment on this post. It will help this video to get noticed by uh, others and maybe your friends can join us live next Thursday. Also, I would love to connect with you on all of the socials. Uh, my, my handles are at, at the top of uh, this video. God bless.